The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. If you're anything like me, you need to schedule time like that once in a while, yet we rarely do. And I really think that God often speaks to us, and I don't get auditory a voice from God. I don't have a voice from God in my head. But I also oftentimes kind of intuitively know what the next right thing to do is when I get still. Does anybody else, all your best ideas come to you in the shower when you have nothing to write on? And I think the reason that happens is because we're so busy and distracted and we're attached to screens and dings and rings and kids and family. And in the shower, we're just by ourselves and it's like the one time that we can be reached. And so all of our ideas come in the shower, it seems. At least for me, when I have nothing to write on is when the best ideas come. But I really think in our distracted culture, it's important to get quiet so that we can hear the voice of God. And I woke up last Friday, probably like many of you guys, I woke up to some shocking news that was really distracting and disturbing. I woke up to the news that 49 bodies were dead in a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand. And my cousin actually is a teacher and lives in Christchurch. So the first thing I thought of was my cousin Jordan, wondering if she was okay. And when I found out it was at a mosque, my cousin Jordan is not Muslim, so I knew that she was probably okay, but that didn't make the situation any better. And this kind of disturbing news, I think is often times when we start to question God and people start to question God. Because when horrible things happen, I often hear this question, and I'm wondering if you guys do too. I often hear, how can you believe in God when somebody can go into a mosque and shoot up 49 bodies? Or how can you believe in God when church leadership can sexually abuse little boys and hide and cover it up decade after decade? And I never know how to answer that question. My answer is always kind of the same. And I respond to that by saying, that's not my God. But it doesn't seem like a good enough answer oftentimes. But I know that it's true that I believe in a God of peace and love and justice and that kind of violence and terrorism isn't my God. And that's the only answer that I often have. And so when this happened on Friday, I went to the Center of Action and Contemplation, which is a website by Richard Rohr. And I love that title because it's the Center of Action, so things you can do, and contemplation, so things you can pray about. And it had a to-do list for the day, and you could attend a, a vigil at a mosque. So I went to the River Oaks Mosque here in Houston that day and sat with our Muslim brothers and sisters. Another thing it recommended to do was to reach out to your Muslim friends and remind them that they are loved and important. And so I made a couple phone calls, and one friend that I called is Khalida. 
And I met Kalita on the elliptical at a gym. And we were going like this next to each other. And we started talking about religion and politics, as you do at a gym. <laughs> and she's Muslim, and I'm Christian. And her son was actually Val Victorian of Strake Jesuit back in the day. He's now a surgeon in San Francisco. So she was telling me how she's Muslim, but she appreciates Christianity and how her son went to this Catholic high school and was a Val Victorian. And we're talking about our different religions and comparing them. We're talking about how we share this character that is Abraham. And we talked about what that meant. And afterwards, I was getting off the elliptical and she said, Erica. And I said, Kalita. She said, I think we're soul sisters. <laughs> I said, I think you're right, actually. We're soul sisters. And I got her phone number. And Kalita and I became fast friends. Um, she calls me around the holidays, leaves messages for my family. She gets me gifts. She invited me over to her house. And she showed me Bollywood clips for three hours. I'm a big fan now. <laughs> and she cooked for me. So I'm just sitting on Kalita's sofa. She's like cooking me all kinds of food. I'm watching Bollywood. Life is good. There's a picture of me and Kalita. Kalita's the one in the middle. That's us in her backyard right after we stepped in a, a farm of fire ants. It was a dramatic day. But I thought of Kalita as soon as this happened. And I reached out, and she had told me that her son had gone to a mosque that Friday morning in San Francisco, as they usually go on Fridays, and that her son had called her and told her about the news and that it was a scary time. And Kalita and I, we often talk about religion and politics when we're together. We don't have any surface-level conversations. And one thing that we both agree about both of our religions is that it can be used in a radical and terroristic way, but the God that we pray to in the tradition we participate in has no tolerance for that. And our God in Christianity, I really believe he is all for radicalism and extremism, but only one kind. Martin Luther King has a quote. He says, Jesus was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness. And so I think God is an extremist. Jesus, the life of Jesus is extreme. It is a radical form of compassion. And when we radicalize our religions for truth and goodness and grace and peace, that's what the life of Jesus can look like. Um, so we, we go back to this question. When horrible things happen, and your answer is, that's not my God, I think the next question becomes, so what is it? If it's not your God, what, what is this? And this is where I get really uncomfortable because I don't like talking about hell or the devil or demons. That stuff creeps me out. 
And as a little kid, I, I shared with you in another sermon that I had OCD when I was young. And the kind of OCD that I had was called scrupulosity. And it's a brand of OCD that has to do with religion. So I would perform religious rituals in third grade. And I was really afraid of hell as a little kid. Like most little kids are thinking about their next snack. I was thinking about hell. It's a really dark little third grader. And so I don't like thinking about hell. And three years ago, I was sitting in this room with my husband. We have a nonprofit called Project 88, and we help get more college advisors and counselors in Houston area public schools. Last year, actually this year, there are 900 students for every one counselor in Houston area schools. Can you imagine helping 900 students? Like, that is insane. And so we raise money to help try to improve that ratio and support college advisors in Houston schools. And we have our big gala here. And three years ago, my husband and I were sitting at a table and I'm about to go on stage to raise money. And I work all year for this one event. And he told me right before I went on stage, he said, the Broncos just called. I have to move to Denver tomorrow. And I was like, what? We have two dogs, we have a house. We'll talk about this later. I went on stage, we ended up, he ended up moving to Denver the next day. And me and the dogs eventually followed him. And when I got to Denver, I discovered this program called the ILIF School of Theology at Denver University. So I enrolled myself in seminary a DU and I started taking classes, and I loved the mountains, I loved the city of Denver, I loved the food. I kind of visualized this new Denver life that we were gonna have. And two games into the season, into the pre, in the preseason, my husband got injured and cut. So he tore his labrum and his bicep tore, and he had to go have a major surgery at the Stedman Clinic in Vail. And all of a sudden, the NFL was over, and he was injured and in a lot of pain, and I was trying to be a good caretaker. I'm not an Enneagram 2. Some of you are twos in here, the helpers. That's not me, so I'm not the best caretaker. I'm like, do you really need ice right now? <laughs> so I'm buying ice and coolers and trying to be a helpful person. Well, well, trying to get good grades at seminary. And I remember I got coffee with one of my classmates. And I told her, I said, I don't know where we're, where we're gonna live. His career's over now. I don't know what to do. I'm starting to doubt myself. Why am I even in seminary? What am I gonna do with this? And she looked at me and she shook her head. And she said, that is the devil. And I thought, this chick is weird. <laughs> like, I actually don't think we should hang out anymore. Because I just wanted to vent and her to listen. I didn't want her to demonize me. But that's true. I, that's, how, that's my reaction when we talk about demons and the devil. But the reality is the Bible does talk about the devil. And it talks about demons and all this weird stuff. And I was sitting in class a couple weeks ago. I'm auditing a class right now at Rice University on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I did my master's under a Hebrew scholar at Rice. His name's Dr. Henze. And I'm auditing this class right now. 
And it's from 6.15 to 9.30 on Monday night, so it's a long class. And around nine o'clock, so we're a couple hours in, I started to get really sleepy. And Dr. Henze said something that just woke me up. He said, never once does Jesus make a demon disappear. He only casts them out. And when he said that, I realized that's it. The reason the bad things happen, when people say, how can you believe in God when there's a massacre? I can just say, Jesus never made a demon disappear. I mean, they dealt with this problem of evil in the Bible and never once did it disappear. And so these questions about how can you believe in God actually were questions that they were asking too way back then. And they addressed it and that is evil exists. And not even Jesus can make a demon disappear. He can only cast it out with truth. The story of Matthew talks about this. It's a really weird story. It's, to summarize it, um, Jesus meets these demons. The demons ask to go live inside the bodies of pigs. He casts them out into pigs. The pigs go into the uh, a lake and drown themselves. So we're gonna read that. I just told you the whole story. So I actually, I didn't do that in any of my other sermons. So you guys got the spoiler alert. So eventually Jesus came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gadarenes. There two men who lived near the tombs and were possessed by demons came out to the seaside and met Jesus. They were flailing about so violent that they obstructed the path of anyone who came their way. The demons screaming at Jesus said, why are you here? Have you come to torture us even before the judgment day, O son of God? A ways off though, still visible, was a large herd of pigs eating. The demon said, if you cast us out of the bodies of these two men, do send us into the herd of pigs. Jesus said, very well then, go. And the demons flew out of the bodies of the two flailing men. They set up the pigs and every last pig rushed over a steep bank into the sea and drowned. The pig herders, totally undone, as you can imagine, took off and they headed straight for town where they told everyone what they'd just seen, even about the demon-possessed men. And so the whole town came out to see Jesus for themselves. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their area. So when, when I read this in my class on Monday nights, the first thing I said was these two men were flailing about because they had demons inside, and I was like, can we disagree they had epilepsy? My professor said, no, we're not gonna medicalize this. This is a story about demons. And I'm so uncomfortable with this idea, but this story offers hope. The hope in this story of Jesus casting out the demons is that Jesus has power over the demons. So like in Star Wars, darkness battles light, and it's like an even battle. But these demons, they didn't say, all right, Jesus, who's gonna win? They said, Jesus is here, we have to leave, can you please go let us live in the pigs? And so that story tells us a couple things. One, that Jesus wins that argument. 
Two, that Jesus has authority over demons. The demons had to like make a request to go live in pigs and Jesus had the authority to grant it or to say no. And the third thing it tells us about demons is that demons have to be embodied. They didn't say, can we just be cast out? They said, can we go live in the pigs because the demons knew they had to live inside a body. And so when we use this language in addiction recovery programs, like he's battling demons, I think the reason that language exists is because demons were a very embodied experience in ancient stories. There's another demon story in the Book of Jubilees. And the Book of Jubilees is a pseudopigrapha. And a pseudopigrapha book means that it was circulating around the time that scripture was written, but it didn't make it into the Bible. So we wouldn't read the Book of Jubilees as an authoritative text or as an inspired text. Like we read our Bible as either authoritative or inspired. But the Book of Jubilees did make it into the Jewish Ethiopian Bible. So if you're a Jew in Ethiopia, this is an important book for you. But I, I think, the re, I think bef before I tell you the story inside this, I also want to preference, I think it's important to know other texts that were circulating at this time because it tells us how they were addressing questions and specifically the questions around demons and the problem of evil is a question that the book of Jubilees addresses. And in the book of Jubilees, do we have any grandfathers in the audience? Raise your hand if you're a grandpa. A couple. So you know how much you love your grandkids. You're too young to be a grandpa. I don't believe that hand. But in, in the book of Jubilees, Noah, who we all know Noah, he's in our Bible. If you don't know Noah's in the Bible, read your Bible. Uh, he, after the flood existed, he talked to God and he said, can you please have these demons leave my grandkids alone? Because this is after the flood, the world's supposed to be better, and these demons are terrorizing my grandkids. Can you please have them leave them alone? And the head demon, Mistima, who's a Jewish demon, so he'd be equivalent to our devil, he negotiated a deal with God. And what they settled on was that 90% of the demons were gonna leave, but 10% were gonna stay. And the reason I mention this story as an important story is because it hits home this idea that even when God has the final say, evil still exists. When Noah requested that evil be gone after the flood, 10% of the demons still had to stay in this story. And so this problem of evil is a very human worldly problem that exists in the world and it doesn't take away from the power of our God. In fact, in many ways, it highlights how powerful our God is because every time Jesus is faced with a demon, he wins. And light, darkness cannot compete with light. As I was preparing for this sermon, I went in my bathroom and I shut off the lights and I just like turned the light on and turned it off and turned it on and turned it off. And every time the light won. I'm like, keeps my, I'm pretty sure my husband, when I prepare for a sermon, just like has no idea who his wife has turned into. But I'm in the bathroom just like, yep, light wins every time. 
Because when there's light, there can't be darkness. And I think that's how Jesus works. I think that's how demon works. I think when you shine a light on evil, our God and our truth and our light is gonna win. Um, There's another story that deals with the devil and that's the story of Lent. And before I enrolled in seminary, I didn't know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all had like the same stories. You guys probably know that. It's like, what? I haven't been reading my Bible. So I had three choices for the story of Lent. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all do great jobs of telling the story of Jesus in the desert for 40 days. We're gonna read Matthew, and I'll tell you why later. So this is the story of the Lenten season that we're in right now. When Jesus returned from the Jordan River, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit led him away from the cities and towns and out into the desert. For 40 days, the Spirit led him from place to place in the desert, and while there, the devil tempted Jesus. Jesus was fasting and eating nothing during this time, and at the end, he was terribly hungry. At that point, the devil came to him. The devil said, since you're the son of God, you don't need to be hungry. Just tell this stone to transform itself into bread. And Jesus responded, it is written in the Hebrew scriptures, people need more than bread to live. Then the devil gave Jesus a vision. It was as if he traveled around the world in an instant and saw all the kingdoms of the world at once. The devil said, all these kingdoms, all their glory I'll give to you. They're mine to give because the whole world has been handed over to me. If you just worship me, then everything you see will all be yours, all yours. And Jesus responded, get out of my space, Satan. The Hebrew scriptures say, worship and serve the eternal one, your God, only him and nobody else. Then the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and he transported Jesus to stand upon the pinnacle of the temple. The devil said, since you're the son of God, just jump, just throw yourself into the air. You keep quoting the Hebrew scriptures. They themselves say he will put his heavenly messengers in charge of you to keep you safe in every way. And they will hold you up in their hands so that you do not smash your foot against a stone. Jesus said, yes, but the Hebrew scriptures also say you will not presume on God. You will not test the Lord, the one true God. The devil had no more temptations to offer that day, so he left Jesus preparing to return at some other opportune time. And so that story of Jesus in the desert is a story of him being confronted with the devil. And what I'm impressed by is that Jesus was perfect in the face of temptation. He chose God instead of power every single time. And how many times when we're given a choice between God and power or influence or money or more worldly things, do we give up a little bit of our integrity and give in to temptation? And Jesus was perfect in that way. The devil said he could have all these kingdoms, all this land and power, and every time Jesus chose God. And I chose Luke because Luke links Jesus to the lineage back, in in the lineage back to Adam. And Adam was the first human in the Bible. And his temptation story is very different. He 
gives in to the snake. He does not say yes to God when faced with temptation. And so many scholars and theologians think that this story of Jesus in the desert is a second Adam story. And while Adam showed what the first generation of humanity could look like, Jesus showed what the second generation of humanity could look like. A generation that has hope, an inspired generation, and a generation that can choose God over temptation and choose life over death. And so in many ways, this story is symbolic of the Adam and Eve story in the garden. And what's interesting about this Lent time, 40 days in a desert, is I think we often walk through deserts in our own lives. And that's when God speaks to us the most clearly, when we're away in solitude, taking two minutes to close our eyes in the shower, or even going through struggle. I think Jesus often reveals himself most clearly in struggle. There's a Greek word for the word crisis that translates to to sift. And so Kathleen Norris reminds us the Greek root of the word crisis is to sift, as in to shake out all the excesses and leave only what's important. That's what crises do. They shake things up until we are forced to hold on to only what matters most, and the rest falls away. And so I think when we're in the desert and we're faced with crisis and temptation or the devil, can't believe I just said that, but the devil, I think our job is to grab our sifters and to start sifting through and letting everything that doesn't matter in our lives fall down so that the treasure of what's important can be revealed. And I think the lie of our culture is this idea, and it's a simple graph, isn't that impressive? <laughs> I think that's the lie that we believe, and that is this lie that when we get more degrees and bigger homes and better jobs and more promotions, and when we lose 20 pounds, and when we do the things, then we're going to be happy someday. When I get pregnant, when I get the job I want, when I get the body I want, the things I want, then I'm going to be happy, but I'm going to work my way up that. And the tragedy of this model is that I don't think it ever comes. When I, some of you probably know me better than others if you've heard me speak before, but one of my sermons was on um, my struggle with addiction. I was addicted to a prescription medication. And when I was 24 years old, I was married to the man of my dreams, who I'm still married to. We had money because of his career. So I had a hot husband, money. I had a six pack that year, believe it or not. Like did a lot of crunchies. And I was miserable. And I think the problem with that lie that we're gonna be happy someday is that according to that game, that graph, I felt like I was winning and it was empty and unfulfilling. And I was addicted and miserable. And so I really think that the story of a desert is a story that's more circular. Because if you notice at the end of that story, the devil said, I will come back at another opportune time. 
And so our struggles don't just leave us on some linear model, they circle back around. And there's a short video we're gonna watch about a spiral staircase. And I think this is more accurate of what it's like to be in a desert. They told you time would heal, that eventually you'd make progress. So you carry on. Sometimes you go days, weeks without crumbling, but then, there it is again. The pain is so bad you feel right back where you began. And you wonder, will I ever make any progress? I wish we could change what happened. We can't. But maybe we can change our idea of progress. Maybe progress isn't linear. Maybe we don't travel in straight lines from bad to good, grief to joy, failure to success. Human progress is circular, like climbing a spiral staircase. Every day I circle back around to the same insecurities, painful memories, failures, fears, all of it. Every day is a beginning again. But here's the magic of the spiral staircase. On each turn of the climb, you grow wiser and stronger and more powerful as you face your pain and survive it again and again. So even if your pain doesn't change, you do. Your pain will not take you down. If it hasn't yet, it won't. You are stronger than your pain. Keep climbing, sister. That's a video from an author, Glennon Doyle Melton. Some of you might know her. Um, that's a video she released. And I think that circular spiral staircase is more, more similar to the life of Jesus because Jesus lived perfectly, but he was constantly faced with struggle and temptation. And he chose God every time. And I really needed this circular model recently. So, my sermon that I talked about my addiction. Do you know it's actually easier to tell all you guys about it than it is my closest friends? And so like the day before I gave that sermon, I called some friends and I was like, I'm gonna feel weird if you find out from a podcast. So like this happened in my life and I knew you at that time and that's why I didn't show up that one time and super awkward. And I told this story, I gave this sermon about how, it was, how I was better, I was healed. It had been five years since I had struggled with this. And two weeks, two weeks later, I got a sinus infection. My husband had one too. And we got prescribed this decongestant. And my husband took the decongestant and went on with his day and his sinuses got better. And I took it and I loved it. And I thought, I just gave a sermon about this, about me being better. And here I am again, thinking about how I can get more of this ingredient and wondering if maybe my husband will have extra for me when, it, when he's better. And I thought, I thought I was better. And all of a sudden my brain is loving this sinus infection 
and hoping it stays longer so that I get to stay on this medicine that apparently I love. I didn't even know I, you could get addicted to a decongestant. But I thought about this circular model and I thought this is an old problem and the beauty of the spiral staircase is that you get stronger from the climb. It doesn't mean your life gets perfect or your problems go away. It means that you approach an old problem with new strength. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna tell my parents that I want more. I'm gonna tell my husband that I want more. We're gonna raid our cabinets looking for this ingredient. We're gonna throw out all of the pills that have that. And that's what we did. And I went through our kitchen cabinet and our medicine cabinet and I got really teary-eyed because I was frustrated. And I thought, I just gave this sermon and what is wrong with me? And why do I have to be like this? But I attacked this problem with new strength and I put systems in place so that I wouldn't seek and try to abuse this medication. And so I think that is more accurate of what it's like to be in a desert is that that devil if you want to call it a devil, is going to tempt you. It's going to come back around. But you, when you choose the life of Jesus, when you choose the life of truth, of justice, of radical, radical compassion, of all the things Jesus chose, that you're going to have a new kind of strength that's not from you, can only be found through that climb on the staircase with God. Ecclesia, let me pray with you. Dear God, I pray that as we go out into our weeks, that we will remember that your temptations are often circular. I pray that we will have the kind of strength that Jesus had in that desert, getting stronger from our own individual climbs so that we can live out your mission in your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.